The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Uh, Acts 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, because what it reveals to us is there are times where Christians, well-meaning Christians, believing Christians, Acts 15 talks about the time when Christians are going to disagree with one another. They are going to have disputes with one another. And when they are disputes over gospel matters, which is what's going on here in Acts, essentially, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch of Syria. And as it says, these men come up from Jerusalem and they're telling the believers there, hey, unless you are, unless you are circumcised, and they're talking to the Gentile believers, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be a follower of God. So essentially, what these men are saying to these Gentile believers in, um, in Antioch is this. First, in order to become a good Christian, you have to become a Jew. And what Paul and Barnabas do is they argue that because that's not the gospel. So there are times where as Christians, we have to be prepared to get into disputes. Some of those disputes are going to be gospel issues, and we need to be ready for that. We need to, elsewhere Paul writes, he writes that we are to contend for the gospel. We must fight for the gospel. And sometimes that's going to that's gonna be in the, in the form of argumentation and disputing. But reality says this, most of the time our disagreements are not over issues of fundamental belief. Most of the time in the church, our disagreements are not about gospel matters. Most of the time in the church, our arguments and disputes are usually about minor things, are about things that don't really matter very much. They're trivial and inconsequential. And what we have to do as Christians, because, because disputing is going to be a part of our lives, because um, we're all humans, we all have wants and wishes and desires and preferences. So when we have these disputes, when we have these arguments and these disagreements, the question that we ought to ask is, as Christians, how, how do we deal with them? How do we interact with each other in the midst of these disagreements? What's a way to honor God, even when we disagree, certainly about important things, but I think even more importantly about less important things? How do we disagree? I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bible, if you have it with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat underneath, uh, underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, that's on page 713, which is where we're going to be. Uh, you might you have version on your phone. There's an app called version. If you go in there, you can search for Westway Christian Church and events for today, and you'll see the verses that we're going to talk about. 
Here's what we've talked about so far from 1 Corinthians, from Paul's letter, first letter to the church at Corinth. The church in Corinth is divided into factions, so they are fighting against one another. The church in Corinth is a church that values worldly wisdom, eloquence, power, and wealth over the things like the wisdom of the cross and the foolishness of preaching, weakness, and poverty. The church in Corinth is a church that values and places into a hierarchy the gifts, talents, and skills of the body. So the way that that kind of uh, manifests itself, if you have an outer gift, if you are an eloquent speaker, what we're going to do at the church in Corinth is we're going to set you above everyone else within the body. And these are not things that they should be proud of, by the way. The church in Corinth is a church that's using their cultural things as Corinthians to build upon the foundation of the gospel. If you remembered, we talked about that at the end of last year when Paul said the foundation is Christ. And some of you are building with wood, straw, and hay. And some of you are building with gold, silver, and precious jewels. What the church in Corinth is doing is they are building with wood, straw, and hay. And then the church in Corinth is a church that acts in arrogance and pride, affirming and boasting in what Scripture plainly calls sin. So this is a, this is a deeply disturbed and messed up church. And because of who they are internally, these are all of their internal things. Because of who they are internally, it's starting to boil over into the way that the people in Corinth, non-believers, are looking at them and viewing, it, viewing them. And it's starting to be a problem. Over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about chapter 5, where we had the man who was sleeping with his, his stepmother. I don't know what happens in your small group, but in our small group this past week, we decided to give these characters names so we could remember who they were. So the guy who was sleeping with his, his stepmom, the guy's name is Bob. We'll just call him Bob. And the stepmom, well, her name is Marcy, of course, because what else would it be? So if you're Bob or Marcy, um, we better not be talking about you. Um, but we have Bob and Marcy, and Bob is sleeping with Marcy. And the church is proud of it, they're boasting about it, they're excited about it, and what Paul does is he tells them that their boasting is sinful. And what they ought to do, instead of being proud and arrogant and, and telling with the community, look, look how wonderful we are, look how wonderful God's grace is, what you ought to do is show Bob the door. And then Paul goes on to talk about that as Christians, it's not our job to judge the world. It's not our job to judge people who aren't followers of Christ. It's not our job to hold people who aren't Christians accountable to the standards of Christianity as though they were. But in fact, it is our responsibility, Paul says, to hold people within the church accountable. This is 100% our job. The word that Paul uses is judge, and I, we don't like that word in 2024, but it's the word that Paul uses. So as Christians, it's our job to... Hold to account fellow believers. If someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and ideally we know that that works best in the context of relationship, but as Christians, it's our responsibility to hold one another accountable to the standards of someone who claims Christ, to, to the standards of someone that is being transformed into the image of, of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So in chapter 6, what Paul is now going to do is he's going to talk about the way that their, their petty disputing is causing problems within, again, the community. It's starting to go outward. And Paul is going to hold them account for this. And, and some questions that we want to be able to wrestle with and kind of answer along the way today are this. How do we get along with one another? How do we as Christians get along with one another? What does it look like for us to judge other believers faithfully? So if I have this responsibility to speak truth and to judge another Christian, what does that look like? How can I do that faithfully? How can we honor God when we disagree? How can we honor God when we question one another or when we have concerns about one another we have concerns about something the church is doing like how how can we honor God in the midst of that let's look at first Corinthians 6 verses 1 through 8 you can read along with me when one of you has a dispute with another believer how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who's wide enough to wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Do you see how what's going on internally is starting to spill out into the world? Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. So Paul here is talking about legal disputes. And one of the things that we did in staff meeting last week, last week we were kind of curious. We were like, okay, so what, what kind of legal disputes did people in this time get into? And, and we did a little bit of research, and most of them were over um, things like property. Most of the disputes that were taking place in this time that someone would take to a judge, and, and we're not talking about matters of law like murder or something like that or theft, but we're just talking about ordinary disputes that people would take to a civil court. Most of them were around issues of property. And to define property, some of you are going to love this. It defined property as wives, children, slaves, and possessions. Many of these issues were settled in a court of law. And because the Christians in Corinth were more Corinthian than Christian, we've talked about that before, because the Christians in Corinth were more Corinthian in their culture, were more Corinthian in their mindsets, whenever they had disputes with other believers, they would go to a court of law to settle that dispute with other believers. And this is another example of the way that their refusal to accept the gospel is impacting and affecting the way they witness to other people. 
Sometimes we think that our, as, a, as the church, and maybe as a church, that our internal squabbles don't matter so much. Because as long as we keep it within the walls of the building, no, one, no one's going to know. But Paul is saying it's actually quite the opposite. Once our internal squabbles get to this point of boiling, I used the example, I think, last week of, of talking about making grits on Fridays. If I'm not careful and I'm not managing that heat, it, they're going to boil out of the pot, right? Well, internally, if we're not, I don't want to say managing. If we're not seeking to love, honor, and serve one another in the middle of our disagreements, that pot is going to spill over. It's going to boil over. And as we asked, I asked last week, why, why is anyone going to join a church, be a part of a church, when it acts like the rest of the world? If the culture of Corinth is to sue one another over legal matters, and I want to get away from that because they're basic disagreements, and then I come into the church and they're doing the exact same thing, why would I become a Christian? What difference is that going to make? If it's not making a, making a difference in the lives of the people in the building, why would I want to join them? So the fact that they are unable or unwilling to reconcile these ordinary disputes is, is really one of two things. At best, it's an example of their immaturity. And at worst, it's the spirit is not prevailing in their life. So by their inability to do this, it's, it's one side of the spectrum or the other. It's either they're really immature believers or the spirit isn't prevailing in their life. So what does it look like? What does Paul say? And I, Paul addresses the issue in three different ways, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first thing he does is he appeals to their identity. As he's thinking about how they're disagreeing, how they're arguing, he's going to appeal to their identity. He's going to appeal to their external witness, and then he's going to appeal to their lack of transformation. Here's the first part of six. I'm going to read it again. This is their identity. Don't you realize that we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So surely you should be able to respond ordinary disputes in this life. You are going to be judging angels. You, Christians, you are going to be seated. And you can read this in Revelation. We talked about it a couple years ago. You can read this in Revelation. You are, going to be, you are going to be seated next to Jesus, judging the entire world. And what Paul is saying is you are going to have this tremendous responsibility at the end of time to judge the entire world. And you can't settle a disagreement over a cow? You, you don't have the ability to, to judge something so minor, yet God is trusting you to judge the entire world. There's something wrong in this situation that you can't do this. You can't resolve even the most minor of conflicts, the most minor of problems. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know that you're going to be seated with Jesus judging the world? See, this is their identity. It's not only that we should resolve our differences, but we ought to ask the question, how do we resolve our differences? What does it look like to be a people? And now we're talking about the church. Now we're talking about Westway 
Christian church, what does it look like to be a people that actually seeks to resolve their differences? What does it look like if I have a question or a thought or concern about something that another believer is doing or maybe something that the church is doing? What does it look like for me to ask that question in a way that's going to be healthy and is going to build the body up? About three weeks ago, I had three different people over the course of about a day and a half ask me, essentially one of two questions and they were the same question and I'll, I'll, I'll read it how, how I have it written but it's like really one question and the question was why do we preach like we do and how do we decide what we're going to preach that's kind of one question right like how do we decide what we preach as a church kind of where does that come from and I said that three different people ask that same question over a couple days which when I get the same kind of question like that I always think that's really kind of interesting that that that's how things decided to manifest themselves and those three people each ask the same question but they ask it in three different ways And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from less preferable to more preferable. That's how I'm going to handle it. Um, Less preferable to more, more, more preferable. One of the people asked that question. What they did was they went into the bathroom here and they got a paper towel and they wrote a question about that on the paper towel, and they folded it up, didn't sign their name, and they put it in the offering box in the back. Can you understand why I would maybe think that that was less preferable? It's really hard to answer a question, and then the way the question was written, I really didn't understand it. So this is less preferable. And then on Monday, in our staff meeting, we, I passed that note around and we kind of talked about it for a second. And I think I know what the person was asking, but you should know that when we receive feedback, even when it comes from less preferable ways, you should know that when we receive feedback, we actually consider, is there any truth to it? So the question that we asked based on what we thought the question was, and you can see now where this is kind of getting, making it really difficult for us to really deal with the issue. The question that we asked was, well, I wonder how many times does someone have to come to Westway Christian Church before they hear the gospel? Because what I, we kind of thought and gathered that what the person was asking was, why don't we preach the gospel more often? So that led to a question, well, how often are we preaching the gospel enough? What does that look like for us? So we kind of talked about that, but then you know what? We decided, since we can't ask this person any of these questions, like, there's nothing we can do with this. The second person... This had actually been kind of a, a lengthier process. It was someone who, who visited back in December, and we had had um, a couple e- email interactions back and forth, and it was December, and I said, you know what I would really like is just to sit across um, a table from you so we can kind of talk through some of these things. Like, I would love the opportunity to do that, but it's December, so can we do that in January? And the person said, yeah. And, but then I said, like, in the last thing before I, before I signed off on the email, I said, I, I really think, because you're asking some questions about this, what would really be beneficial for you to do is to come to Westway, like, in the meantime, and kind of learn about who we are. And I think you might get the answer to some of your questions, like just being present, right, just by being around us. 
So, um, so the person called me, uh, contacted me in January, did not come during that, during that in-between time. Uh, we sat down in my office, and there was about, we got about two questions in, and I would characterize the questions that I was receiving as, um, as, as not really open and humble um, and not really wanting, someone really wanting to have a discussion with me, just by the way that the person was, was speaking. But that is more preferable than an anonymous piece of paper, right? So there's the anonymous piece of paper, really the least preferable way, coming to talk to me, we're getting somewhere in a conversation, and um, I, I wasn't able to answer all of that person's questions in the way that they wanted me to. Um, but again, like it was kind of a one-sided conversation. But then, and this was the Sunday three weeks ago, I'm walking through the lobby. Here's the most preferable. I'm walking through the lobby and someone says, hey, John, do you have 90 seconds? I said, yes. And I knew it wasn't going to be a 90 second question, but I said, yes. Because no, you figured me out. There are no 90 second conversations with me. Have you learned that? Um, this person says, hey, I have, nine, I have a question, just want 90 seconds. And this person asked me the question. He said, so I've been here for about a year. And what I noticed was when I first started coming to Westway on Sunday mornings when we would preach, we would cover an entire chapter at a time. And like that was the rhythm that we were in. And then we entered into this Corinthians phase and we slowed way down. Can you... Can you tell me what's going on? Because I asked my small group leader, see how preferable, man, just see how preferable this is? I asked my small group leader who gave me an answer, and then he's, my small group leader said, you should really ask John about this. And it wasn't a 90-second conversation. It was more like an 18-minute conversation. And here's what happened in that 18 minutes. That person would say something, and if I didn't understand him, I could ask him to clarify. And then when I said something that he didn't understand, he could ask me to clarify. So we were able to bring that conversation to a conclusion. It was, it was mutual um, hum, humility. I was going to say humility, but I know that's not a word. It was mutual humility. We were able to actually have a discussion and a conversation about it. And I'm telling you that because, because as, as Christians, we're going to have disagreements we're going to have questions. We have, we're going to have things that we don't understand. And, and, the way, and the way to understanding is not in an anonymous note. The way to understanding is not in an accusatory conversation. The way to understanding is to actually have a dialogue. And sit down and visit. The thing I say here all the time that I did not make up. Like I'm convinced that you can resolve just about any conflict over a cup of coffee at Starbucks, um, it might take a couple. It might take a few months. But as Christians, this is what we're called to do. We're, we're called to resolve our differences. And if we can't resolve our differences, what we're called to do is we're supposed to bring in a mediator. We're supposed to bring in someone else. Well, who's that someone else? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. If you have legal Disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. I love when Paul says that. 
You should be embarrassed, is what Paul is saying. I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who's wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. So Paul is appealing to their external witness. What he's saying is you can't resolve this issue. And, and not only are other Christians or non-Christians seeing this, but you are asking non-believers to resolve your differences for you. You are bringing in people who are not even Christians. And God expects us as believers to resolve our differences. And if we cannot, we are to bring others into from the church in to help us mediate it. I would encourage you sometime this week to read all of Acts chapter 15. Because Paul and Barnabas and those people from Antioch, they go to Jerusalem and they go to the place where the... Where the um, where the problem originated, like they went to the source, right? This is crazy talk for 2024. We hear something that someone says about us, and rather than go and talk to them, we talk to everyone else but them, right? That's how we do things here. Or, well, not here, hopefully not here. That's how we do things in 2024, right? And what Paul, is, what Paul and Barnabas are doing is they're going to the source, and what he's saying is, you as Corinthians, you guys are so dysfunctional, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use your dysfunction against you. He's basically saying, you guys are supposedly so filled with wisdom and you can't resolve the most minor of things. You are bragging and telling everyone how smart you are and how wonderful you are and how thoughtful you are. And you can't even resolve the smallest things among you. What is wrong with you? Why can't you do this? As we talked about this, and it, it really didn't take long, um, talked about just the number of things over the past, over the past years since I've been here, and Westway's been around lo way longer than me. So mind you, it was, this, is, it was the exact same. Just in the, just in the time that I've been here at Westway Christian Church, it would take two hands to count the amount of times that, that pastors and elders have been brought in to resolve a dispute or disputes between people in our body. Sometimes those are, those are family issues. Sometimes those are friends issues. Sometimes those are like Bible question issues. Um, something I never thought would happen. One time I sat in on a conversation between two businesses that had to have a dispute between one another. I was like, man, what an example of the gospel. What a wonderful thing. Rather than, rather than suing one another, rather than bad-mouthing one another, they, they, came, like, they came to us to help them resolve their issue. That's the Bible. That's the gospel. And I wonder what it would be like for us when we, when we have disputes with one another, with other believers... If we just followed the advice that's in the Bible, radical for 2024, I know. But this is, this is why we have God's word, to help us resolve disputes with one another. And, and as Joe and I talked, um, we, we said this, in those discussions, when someone has refused to demonstrate gentle, gentleness and humility, it's not worked out well. So when we've been brought into those conversations and we're trying to sort of mediate with, between people, when there's a lack of humility or gentleness, it usually doesn't work out. But, and this was Joe's phrase, I like it. When both parties have been willing to swallow their pride 
and set aside their once wishes and desires, the results have been wonderful. It actually works. When Christians act like Christians, it works. We don't have to appeal to external sources and people who aren't believers to help us resolve our issues. These aren't, these aren't issues of law. If someone breaks into your house or threatens your life, we are going to default you to the law. But this isn't about that. This is, this is normal every day. And with the exception of the business one, although that might have been close, so many of the things that we've worked, helped people work through have just been so petty. There have been so, so many conversations where I felt like, so I'm old enough to, I'm not old enough to remember having watched the Three Stooges when they were on the first time, because that would be really old. But I did watch them in reruns. And one of my favorite things that Mo did, because like he was the leader of the Three Stooges, when Curly and Larry were doing something dumb, do you remember what he would do? He would take their heads and he'd smack them together. There have been times where in the back of my head, because there's a part of my brain that's not yet redeemed, where I've wanted to take the heads of two people in front of me and clack them together. And like, you guys got to get over this. This is what we're talking about here. See, the, our witness to outsiders matters. And then, and then lastly, and this is what Paul's going to talk about last in this, the reason that people are able to swallow their pride and set aside their wants, wishes, and desires is because they're being transformed. This is the marker of a transformed person who's in the midst of a disagreement and says, you know what, I just need to sacrifice, I need to give up my, myself, I need to give up my way on this, I need to give up my want and my wish and my desire on this. And here's that text. It says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Listen to that statement. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. See, when we are wronged by a fellow believer, this is what Paul is saying. When we are wronged by a fellow believer and it's a minor issue, it's an ordinary issue, it's something that's not a legal matter uh, where someone's life is in danger, what Paul is saying is our default position should be to suffer the wrong rather than contact the authorities. This is what Paul is saying. When someone sins against me as a Christian, what I ought to do is accept the wrong. What I ought to do is give in. And Paul's command here is simple. We either accept the loss and be cheated, or we resolve it. That's what Paul is talking about here. When it comes to Christians and the way that we disagree with one another and the way that we dispute one another, our choice is simple. We can accept the wrong or we can try and resolve it. We can work to resolve it. We can recognize that resolution takes time. 
And as I said last week, we're going to talk about the text again here in a second, but that Matthew 18, where I go to them, you know, it's me and them, and I don't show up two hours later with two more people. Oh, you didn't listen to me, so now we're here with two more people. And then you don't show up two hours later after that, and you say, you didn't listen to me, you didn't listen to them, so now we're going to bring you in front of the church and kick you out. That's not what this is. Because even the pettiest of of disputes, what I have learned in my time as a human being, even the pettiest of disputes take a really long time to work through. And that's because of the pride and arrogance of one another. When we are proud and we are arrogant, our petty disputes will take time to work through. And it's not just us who's being cheated in this. See, there's a consequence for disobedience, and that's verse 9, and this is where we're going to pick up next week in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, when we, when we refuse to give grace, when we refuse to demonstrate the love and the honor and the acceptance that, that Paul is talking about here, we are robbing, we are cheating the other person of an experience of grace. We are cheating the other person of what demonstrated grace looks like in their lives. We are cheating them of unmerited grace because that's what Jesus has given us. Unmerited grace. We haven't done anything to deserve it. In fact, we've done everything to deserve the opposite of grace. And as Christians, our role and our responsibility and our joy is to be demonstrators of unmerited grace, even when wronged. So Paul says, why not rather be wronged? And all of this is really about the transformation that God is calling his people to. See, Christians who would sue one another over, over these kinds of things, they don't just have a behavior problem. They have, they have a heart problem. Christians who refuse to work together and partner together to resolve differences, they have a heart problem. There's something going on inside of them. And this church in Corinth is, is one that doesn't know who it is. They, they've forgotten their identity. And that's why Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth in the way that he begins all of his letters. And I know we talk about this all the time and maybe you're sick of hearing it, which means you're just starting to get it. Paul begins with their identity. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And these are people who don't care about their identity, their new identity. They'd rather be Corinthian than Christians. This is a church that doesn't care about the way they're perceived by outsiders. And, and this isn't like... We're going to stand on the gospel, and if, if you don't like the gospel, we don't, you know, we're not going to water down the gospel for you. That's not what this is talking about. So when we talk about not caring about our presentation to outsiders, that's not what we mean, but we sure ought to be concerned about the way outsiders view us in the way that we love one another. That ought to matter greatly to us. And these are people who haven't been transformed. See, the, the way that a church is with one another and the way that they disagree and the way that they dispute with one another, it really says a lot about who they are, which is their identity. It says a lot about who they are in terms of not caring about outsiders, which means they only care about themselves. It says a lot about the way that they are refusing to be transformed 
which is what the gospel does for us as Christians. Over the past uh, several, several weeks, I've, I've found this quote that I put at the top of every one of Before I start writing my sermon, I, I put it at the top of my notes, and it just says this. Focus more on who you want people to become in Christ rather than what you want them to do. When people fall in love with Jesus, they're going to be more likely to engage in corporate teaching and worship. So then what I've been doing is I've just been writing a little two sentences underneath that. And here's, I think, from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 8. God wants us to become a kind of people who love one another, even when we disagree. And this happens when we grow in key areas of our lives. There are three sets of verses I just want to share with you really quickly um, to think about what does that look like. So, so how do we interact with one another? How do we, how do we live this life where, we, where we're humble and we ask questions and we submit to one another and we, we judge one another as believers? Like how practically what does that look like for us? Uh, the first is Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 and it says this. This is all in you version, by the way. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So as we think about the way that we interact with one another as Christians, when we dispute, the first thing that we need to do is to be gentle and humble with one another. It says we want to do that so, so we don't fall into the same temptation. Here's the second. This is in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, this is a way that we interact with people that we disagree with. We start by, by taking a look at ourselves. We start by evaluating our own issues. We start by evaluating our own wishes and wants and desires in this situation. And we, we're honest about that. And then lastly, and we've, we've shared this the last three weeks. This is Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. See, when we have disagreements and disputes between us as Christians, it's really an opportunity for us to remember who we are as Christians. It's really an opportunity for us to remember what unites us. 
As we've been talking about kind of throughout this series, you know, under, underlaying what's happening in our culture right now, um, there's going to be an election in November. And regardless of what side of the political structure you find yourselves on, there are Christians on both sides. There are Christians on the other side of you. I know you find that impossible, but there are Christians on the other side of you. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to demonstrate unity in the way that we talk about those things. And I think if we're humble and gentle and we're evaluating our own understandings and we're lovingly confronting one another, we can demonstrate unity. See, when we have disputes and arguments as Christians, we can show the world that there's a better way to have a disagreement. Don't you love that when that happens? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you were actually able to talk about things that were really heavy and really weighty and you kind of finished it and you were like, man, I wish I could have more conversations like this. Even with people you disagree with, that happens when we are humble and when we submit to one another. When we recognize that the other person is made in God's image. This is what we want to do. And because we've been transformed by Christ, we can walk in peace and humility. We can accept that others will wrong us. And like Christ, we can forgive them and we can demonstrate grace. And this is the kind of church that God is calling us to be. As we think about uh, what, what are we supposed to be doing in our community, sharing the gospel, proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, and then demonstrating that he is our Lord. Not just verbally saying, Jesus is Lord, but demonstrating by the way that we are with one another so that when people walk into our building or into our home for small group or Bible study or encounter us in the community together, what they see is unity. This is what we want to do. This is the way that we want to be as a church. And this happens when we submit ourselves to Christ and when we submit ourselves to one another. And my encouragement for you this morning is that you would desire to be the person that God wants you to be. That you would see this, you would evaluate yourself, and you would want to be who God calls you to be. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful again for the opportunity to gather together as a church and hear from your word and be hopefully challenged and encouraged to grow in key areas of our lives that are going to bring us into a deeper relationship with one another and a deeper relationship with you. I pray for those of us who are, who are caught up in, in petty bickering and argumentation and disputes with, with maybe people in this room or other Christians outside of this place, God, that we would set aside our will and seek yours. And your will for us is to be unified is to jointly proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Help us to look for ways to be unity builders, even when we disagree. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.